0: Okay, okay, all right. Welcome to some extra podcast interviews on The Rugby Pod with me, Jim Hamilton. I'll be chatting to loads of different people from around the game of ruggers, current players and coaches, former teammates, decision makers, influencers. A big thank you to The Rugby Pod and Spotify for backing me on this. First up, I have one of my best mates, the better half of Team Brambleton one of the toughest competitors I've ever played with. A guy who sounds Scottish, but actually isn't. It's the inspirational
1: Kelly Brun. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Get
2: yeah. Big Jim is wearing his heels. Ha. Marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now. And he's big and rad. I shot a black and now he's super bad. He gets loud. I'm a big dick hours. I showed him some whiskey and he shoots like a bow. Let's go. Let's go. Here we go, mate. Cal, Jim, first one. You ready? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I've got no idea what we're doing. In fact, what are we doing? I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
0: You know, it's weird, isn't it? Because our careers have gone in different ways. Yeah. Right. And you know me probably better than I know myself, Cal. <laughs> and I think it's taken a while for me to realize who I am, you know? <laughs> I'm John. <laughs> two, four, six,
2: oh, uh, one.
0: Um, I've wanted to do this for a while. I've wanted to do my own podcast for a while, yeah. along with a load of other stuff. Yeah. Coffee, open a bar. What else have I said to you I want
2: to do? Property, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's a new idea, a new house, a new city, every two or three a months. New
0: life.
2: But this is my calling. Yeah. Like,
0: I think I've had this what do they call it? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. I've I've definitely had that in the last four or five years of us being retired. Yeah. And this is it. Not as in like this podcast specifically, but yeah. podcasting and yeah. talking to people. Yeah. It's what I'm comfortable doing. It's what I'm known for. And it's who I am now. So part of this is an add-on yeah. from the Rugby Pod. Yeah. And the Rugby Pod has given me this new life, as we know, and it's received very well, myself and Goody. I love doing it but also the Spotify deal has been yeah. humbly big for us uh, in terms of not having to, us personally, try and commercialise what we're doing. Not having to do anything else ever again. So Apart from chatting crap beautiful. and chatting rugby. So this, for me, is the evolution in terms of I feel a bit of a responsibility to myself, to the lads that we've played with, and to the game. Not that I'm the voice of rugby, I'm not saying that at all, but there's a lot of shit to sieve through. There's a lot of stuff that's happened since we've retired mm-hmm. and we're probably, me, you, other people that will get on the podcast, are probably best placed to unravel these things from an emotional perspective, yeah. but also guys that have lived, breathed, and consumed the game how we have. Do you get what I'm saying with that? Yeah,
2: I do. And I think what's, what I think is great for you is we've spoken about this before and about the podcast and the rugby pod and the... Jack and Ori Jim and all this sort of stuff. And I remember speaking to you and you said you love doing it, but at times you feel it's a character. And so you're putting on a character. You're not actually, you are being you, but you feel like, you know, you've got to like almost, almost create a persona and the larger than life sort of character, which you are, but there's also another side to you. I remember speaking to you a lot over the last two years when you were in lockdown, well, all of us were, and you were just saying, I just don't really have any purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. And that was quite interesting, and probably a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't think that, because in the pod you are always this sort of big, sort of larger-than-life character talking mainly bollocks, Correct. but you know, with, a of truth, <laughs> with a sprinkling of truth in it.
0: Yeah, and I think part of that has been this imposter syndrome, right? I, I, did you ever think I was going to be in the media, yes or no? Early days. So when we were talking about retiring from rugby at maybe the age of twenty nine, thirty, which is again, yeah, one of the big things that we have to go through. Did you think
2: I was going to be in the media? Early days. No, 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 because you were like from a, a different, uh, from a different background, a bit rough and ready. You said exactly what you thought, and it wasn't always the PC or the. It wasn't, you know, you weren't a uh, towing the line almost. And so originally, no, but then after seeing you do it, and also I think back to the last sort of two or three years at Sarries and where you were, unbelievable, was you did so much off the pitch, exploring different avenues and different things to do. And I used to take the piss out of you because you moved house about 400 times in about three years, but it's because you were exploring and trying to find the right thing and the right almost fit for you. Mm. Uh, yeah, and and that's that's right, and I think even
0: during lockdown, yeah, because I think a lot of people were questioning not having control over their life, and yep. I felt the same. Doing the rugby pod and this caricature, it is me. Like, yep. so for the listeners listening, they all listen to the rugby pod. That is me, but it's not me every day. But it has to be me every day we do the
2: podcast do you yeah, know what I mean? yeah yeah it's just like an exaggerated version of yourself yeah it is you it's a bloody funny version though it's, is it not it is funny it's funny you just thought you come up with some it's all the truth it's very raw well it's it's not all the truth it's probably 75% true and then just a little bit of yeah. uh, a little bit of a little bit of salt but it is you yes it is you but that's you like when you're flying and when you're like sort of larger than life you know you're not always like that no But as you said on the podcast, it is you on the podcast. Yeah, it
0: is. And for me, I think I've been blown away with how many people listen to the podcast. And off the back of that, how many people feel like they know me. And that's been a strange process for me to go through and to absorb and to live through with my family. Because like Beck's there, my wife and my kids and people are throwing out innuendos and Stuff that I've apparently said on the podcast. You, so
2: you've definitely said it. So I've, I'm like, basically, have you said that?
0: Like, what's a melted wheelie been? What are you on about, Bush? What, what's all this bollocks? I was like, what idiots talk about this? So, but you know what? Like recently, I've not that the stars have aligned or not that I've had a light bulb moment, but I thought, you know what? Podcasting is who I am now. I've built yep. up this persona. I've built up a platform along with the rugby pod, myself and Goody. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it to carry on the direction yeah. what I want to do. Rugby Pass allowed me to do that from documentaries and content standpoint, but more around interviewing friends from the game, yeah. interviewing you know people that like watching the game of rugby, but going to tackle some big topics on transition, <laughs> which yeah. in the in the sense of professional athletes going into the real world, concussion's a big one. We'll talk yeah. a bit about that today. The finances in the game, the commerciality of the game, you know, I want to chat to agents. I want to look at people that are investing in the game and the growth of the game that we gave our life to. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Because yep. that, like it's something that we talk about off air and discussions that we've had over beers, over coffee and tea, yep. and over the phone. And they're c- constant conversations that go on. Um, before we carry on, people listen to this and be like, right, recognize Kelly Brown recognize his voice scottish voice yeah even though you're not scottish <laughs> oh yeah of course but let's just get the elephant out of the room the name kelly i i don't know anyone i don't know anyone else that is a man that's called kelly
2: well is this a piss take or not this... <laughs> 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 now nah, well there's a couple so there's kelly jones obviously from the stereophonics oh okay yeah yeah the lead singer the with a y kelly with the a y so Kelly with a Y okay. and there's Kelly Slater who I believe yes. is a surfer yes I've heard so of him I've said that just it's three hilarious. unbelievably cool guys all called Kelly it's a funny one I still get it now you get letters to the house addressed to Miss Kelly Brown or or I'm phoning up say yeah if I've got to phone to soar insurance or something through a phone bill or whatever anything like this and they always say okay uh, what's the account name was Kelly Brown and is she there I'm like well I'm here and they're like what and then it just <laughs> and then it throws them off it depends on how hard i want to push them actually i think it was a bit of a blessing because well my dad's irish so it's obviously an irish name and when i think growing up when you and whenever you'd go to like sports camps or anywhere like that and a coach would ask your name as you tell them and they wouldn't forget it it is a bit different you know they they think okay that's kelly He's the one with the stammer and with the massive eyebrows, and so you would tend to stick in people's minds. And so that's where, in saying that, Jim was born in Scotland. I lived in Scotland for 27 years. You were not born in Scotland, and you lived in. Well, you've you've probably done a few years now. Yeah, yeah. Probably, I reckon, around five. You know, with all the moving backwards and forwards. So very true. You know, around
0: the residency and whether or not you should play. Obviously, the big. News recently has been around James Lowe, hasn't it? But it's an interesting one because now you look at the Scotland team Mm -hmm. and watching some of their games for the Autumn Nations Cup, you had Hamish Watson fronting some of the promos, Ali Price, Duane van der Merver, none of them had Scottish accents. My point being, like, you are a lucky bugger in many senses because you've got the Scottish accent. So even (laughs) though you do not have any Scottish
2: blood running through your body, you don't have any Scottish blood, do you? Well, my, my... it's my ancestry. is isn't Scottish, now.
0: No, it's not. But people don't—they they go based on the accent. Be like Scottish accent, Scottish, Scottish. Scottish exactly.
2: So we just correct. Very <laughs> true. Very true. Stammer.
0: It's—it's—it's
2: yeah. it, it's, it's gone. It's not gone, and I'm very much at pains to stress the fact it's not gone. But when we do—and
0: we did this before when we did the rugby pod. Yeah. Is it the whole King's speech theme? because you've got the headphones on and we're in a studio? Or is it that you're that comfortable with me and, and being in a studio?
2: So that is a factor, yeah, undoubtedly. But also, it's funny. So I um, I first sort of started to actually do something about my speech in 2010. And I went on, um, on this, it's called the Maguire program. And it's basically a stammer run by stammerers for stammerers. And there's a basic cyclist speech, but a massive part of it is around the psychological side and the assertive self-acceptance of it. And that was the bit that sounds easy, but it's the bit that has probably taken me the longest to actually fully grasp. So I went on the course and it came off and I was flying. My speech was unbelievable. I'll never forget, I went into um, into training at Glasgow and the guy was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you don't stammer anymore it's fixed, you're cured, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. And I was quite happy for them to say that. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And almost sort of, almost blacked it as I was cured. But then over time, I've come to realise that I will always stammer and I will only ever be in control of it if I fully accept it. And I've got to that point now where I fully accepted it. I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not ashamed by it. It's just a part of me and I'm at pains to stress that, uh, I am a stammerer, but I know when I do the work that I know uh, I'm in control of it. And also on top of that, I want to challenge myself, so I want to keep on doing as much as I can. So, for example, last Friday uh, I did a BT game, and well, you were I, nervous before because we yeah, I was nervous. Sp- sp- yeah. yeah. So we spoke about it, and it's something I'd said to the guys at, at BT. I did an interview about a month before on stammering around International Stammering Awareness Day. And the feedback was amazing from people. You know, people are incredible. And just to get sort of various messages from from either people that stammer or the parents of people that stammer or the teachers of people that stammer and just saying, you know, we'll show that to them, it'll inspire them, you know. It was amazing and it was humbling, you know, to actually get those sorts of messages. And that's why, or it's certainly, it's one of the reasons why I speak out, but... On top of that, I want to challenge myself and I want to prove that I always say I can do whatever I set my mind to. And I say that to my kids, so our youngest, so she's got a stammer and she's 10. And I see it as part of my, of sort of me, I, I say to her, you can do whatever you want. And so as a consequence of that, I want to challenge myself and I want to and I want to be fully in control of my speech. And I want to see, okay, well, what can I do? Because obviously I coach every day, I've got to speak every single day, but now it's not a challenge that, whereas going on live TV or doing a podcast or anything like that is a challenge. But I firmly think if I can keep on challenging myself, and I might fail, so we spoke about it, and the first thing that you said to me was like, well, if it goes badly, it doesn't matter, no one's died. I was like, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a fair point. That's easy for me to say because I'm normally shit myself before I go live as well. <laughs>
0: I'm just saying yeah. what
2: the, you know, what the
0: little bird on my shoulder is telling me, telling you. But I'm not doing that myself. But it must be harder for you.
2: Yeah, but of... it's yeah, but it's true. It's true. So no one has died, and something in my old mind. If I have a bit of a blip, I have a bit of a blip. Like so, it's going to be a much bigger thing in my mind than it is going to be in anyone else's mind if I let it be that way. But ultimately, I'm in control of my stammer and my mind, so I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on challenging myself. I'm going to keep on pushing myself. I've set a bit of a goal. I'd like to do um, a bit of co coms at some point, and it's not necessarily because I'm desperate to be a co-commentator. It's because I want to. I want to challenge myself and see if I can get my speech to such a place that I'm in such control of it that I can literally do anything I want. No, it's classmate. Do you remember, there was a bit of a blip. Do you remember a few years ago, we
0: did the old enemy dinner at the Balmoral in Scotland. (laughs) And for the listeners... Absolutely killed it. Well, killed it is is one way of putting it. (laughs) So for the listeners wondering what the old enemy dinner is in Balmoral, it's basically a load of old people getting together who played back in the 80s and 90s, uh, the England-Scotland game. And we never get invited to these things because the backs were shite when we played for Scotland <laughs> but for some reason we got invited to this event so Doddy Weir's hosting uh, as MC compare au pair, basically looking after us uh, David Flatman was on the panel and they've asked myself Kelly Brown Lewis Moody and a guy called Peter Winterbottom who played back in the 30s or something he was a legend or he is it, a well legend. he was a legend I mean it was amateur and I remember we sat there and we're shitting ourselves so yeah. we're nervous and obviously with your stammer yeah. you need to warm into it yeah. yeah get a couple of laughs early, and Kelly's like, mate, I'm shitting myself, and I've said to you, don't worry, I'll, I'll get up there, and I'll warm them up. And so we've got up there, Doddy Weir's like, right, we've got special treat this year, we've got some of the new guard coming in, out with the old, in with the new. Doddy's big thing was around the England game, that he never beat England, but he beat Spain, He beat Romania once, and the place erupted with laughter. So I'm thinking straight away, I'm thinking, well, Kel, I'm going to warm these fuckers up here in the crowd, (laughs) and then you can come in with the Kelly Brown, the girl's name, the eyebrows, the stammer, and everything will be good, and we're going to walk out of here as legends. So Doddy gets up there, intros us, and I go up and I'm right, Doddy, we're thank you very much. Scotland legend. You know, you've got 61 cats for Scotland, Doddy. I've got 63. (laughs) Doddy, you've never beaten England. I've drawn against them. You've beat Romania once. <laughs> I've beat them twice and Georgia. And I said, Doddy, you're going to go down as a Scotland legend. Jim Hamilton, in the third person, is going down as a fucking Hall of Famer. <laughs> Literally, oh, tumbleweed. Kel? <laughs> <Cal? laughs> <laughs> quickly, 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 quickly! Tell the eyebrow story, and you sped through
2: the eyebrow story, which was meant to sound like... No, I don't actually know which one it was. It was, it was one of them. There are a few, but it, yeah, you yeah. couldn't get it out this time, could you? I could, oh, it was just as you said your story, which I heard... It's funny. It's just some nights when you do these these like speeches, after dinner speeches. Sometimes you're like, I am hilarious. This is going down so well. So you told me a story as well about one in. Uh, it was Norwich, was it? Was it Norwich yeah. or something like this? Big rugby crowd, a massive rugby no crowd. No idea. And you went in and did the same stuff and just absolutely died. But yeah, it's it's sometimes. It just happens. I've found that as well. Some nights you're like, oh, God, oh my God, I'm good. And some nights you're like, oh, Yeah, that was one of them
0: it? nights. So I remember when Flatman was looking at me after he'd done the intro to me and you and it went down like the biggest shit sandwich you've ever heard. And then he's looking at us to, as in like, have you got anything more? Like you ain't even looking at him. I'm shaking the head. <laughs> and then Peter Winterbottom gives a story about how he drank the red wine and didn't pay the bill and put it on Dean Richard's room bill and he had to pay £74 and the place erupted. (laughs) And I was like, right, I do not think this is the demographic for us. I don't think the rabbit story from France and the Verne and Rabbit Gate, I don't think that that is the right story to tell in this crowd. So I just said, (laughs) hopefully it'll be a good game tomorrow. What about
2: Doddy's story as well? Obviously, as we're doing this, it's just been announced, I think, of the government played something like 50 50 million in funding, which is... Amazing. When you think of the amount he's raised, I don't even know what it is, 7 mil, 8 mil. It's, it's a ludicrous amount, an unbelievable amount. And then to actually get this, you know, to be able to campaign against the government and to get, not against the government, but to be able to campaign to the government and to get them to pledge 50 million in funding is just mind-blowing. Mm. And it, it's just a testament of the person that he is. That everyone... I've said this before, but everyone loves Doddy Weir. Like it's just, it's just how it is. Everyone loves him, which is why when he has all of the events, everyone wants to support him, wants to help him, wants to raise awareness. And so, hopefully, with this extra funding, it'll help obviously, you know, to raise the profile even more and to ultimately find a cure because that's what it's all about. It's about finding a cure or just finding anything. I think is there only one drug and it's it's been the only. Ger- only drug for twenty three years or something that can help in any way, and so Doddy is obviously a legend, like a, a Melrose legend, a Scottish rugby legend, a Lions legend. But I think after this, how he's going to be remembered is yes, all those things. But what and what a legend of a of a person, you know, he's literally he has transformed the research into MND, and hopefully. We can find a cure and find it fast, and he'll still be with us you know, for a long, 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 long time yet. Yeah, I love Doddy. Not
0: just for what he's done now, obviously for what he's done now in terms of raising awareness for MND and the way that he's handling the situation that he's going through with yeah. such dignity. It's just unbelievable to watch. Let's talk about transition. I, bloody, yep. I, I hate this word yeah, 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 because it's something that we've been speaking about for, I'd say, maybe even
2: 10 years. Yes, yeah, so you know it's coming. Yeah, as you know it's coming, it's just a it's just a question of when. And I think you prepare for it, but you still don't quite know how you're going to react to it. Um, you,
0: you know on the transition stuff, Yeah, there's a couple of things around it for me. One thing, I don't think I was the player that I could have been because I was constantly thinking about that, if you know what I mean. Even though mm-hmm. I played my best rugby at Saracens yep. because I had this always hanging over me and because probably the way that my mind works, I can't do two things at once. Just couldn't do it. Yeah, but that's always looming. There's only obviously only certain players that probably don't need to worry too much about that because what they say as a as a rugby player or as an athlete, the minute you start taking your off the ball, yeah, is the minute you you basically on the way to to finishing. Yeah, like we used to chat about it probably every day. It was on our minds every yeah. day, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it's on your minds. But I actually saw an interview with uh, Maro the other day, and they were asking him about. Eddie Jones' comments and all that sort of stuff about um, Marcus Smith. And I thought what he said was pretty, it was pretty spot on. And he says, it's not an issue as long as the main thing stays the main thing. Mm. And so if rugby's the main thing, it's got to it's stay as number one. And so, yes, you can do other things outside, but rugby's got to stay uh, as the number one. I think for me, I think it probably was. I think I was, I was in a sense fortunate in the last sort of two or three years and I think about this a bit so I I sort of slowly slipped down the pecking order at Sarries and I was I was more than happy you know to be that sort of older head who would guide the younger players and that sort of stuff as I transitioned into coaching because I knew I wanted to be a coach and then in my last year of playing at Sarries I coached the academy as well so so I knew that and I was more than happy to do that but there is a part of me thinks should i have like so maybe fought a bit harder like to not sort of fall down or to not sort of slide down the pecking order but ultimately i look back and i think i was an average player but i worked hard and so <laughs> I, like i genuinely do and so i love how you see your career very differently to to how i saw my yeah, career yeah yeah so you were an unbelievable <laughs> player who just had some bad luck and that's an why you weren't in a line and that's why you weren't in line but no I, listen i'm i'm more than happy so looking back my career i had Limited talent, but I think I maximized it. I, I think for me, when I, and I, again, it's something maybe
0: COVID reflection. I never really look back. I'm almost in a bit of denial. What about yeah. my upbringing and how tough that was? But also because I'm emotionally driven and I remember being at Murrayfield pre-COVID for a Six Nations game. And it was the first time I'd been at the stadium and watched the anthems yeah. live out, in the stadium I've been at the stadium before but I've watched it indoors or whatever we've done corporate and I found it incredibly emotional yeah because I haven't looked back on my career mm-hmm. I've almost like kind of parked it I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing so I don't know whether there should be a part of not speaking for you yeah but a part of me that looks back and realises what I accomplished I know we joke about it on the rugby pod or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. but I genuinely don't look back on it apart from the on the odd anecdote yeah when I think about it, and playing for Scotland, playing for Scotland first and foremost was the the, the proudest thing, yeah. the biggest thing that I ever achieved. But when people say to you, like, "What was it like?" and there's not as many people that say that now, yeah. But I cannot contextualise what it was like running out in in a packed stadium, and the feeling of being alive. I can't I can't put it into words. Yeah, the feeling of like running out there and. You are invincible. Even if played against the All Blacks. Even yeah. played against <laughs> Romania, and that's why I don't go back. That's why I don't think about it too much because I find it. Because we're never going to have that again. Yeah, we, we are never going to have that feeling. You know the feeling, don't
2: you? Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. I think it's funny because people always say, "Oh, you look back on that with pride and that sort of stuff of everything you achieved and all this sort of stuff." And yeah, it was great, but I still, my nature is sort of like. Oh, you know, I wish I'd done a bit more. I wish, I'd, I wish I'd achieved a bit more. Let's put it out there. So,
0: achieve what? So, you got 64 camps. Yeah.
2: What did I get? No, that's only 63.
0: Uh, <laughs> captain Scotland. Yeah. I was your vice captain. So, see, was... we're going hand yeah, in hand. Yeah. Three European
2: or two? Uh, two. Two
0: and three. Prams. And three prams. And Three prams. So prams, yeah. Really? And you said yourself, you're average. Yeah. Or yeah.
2: So, above it, average. It, it, so, what more was there? It's funny because I am. I'm saying on one hand, I feel like I maximised my potential. On the other side, I'm saying I would like to have done a bit more. I'd like to have won more for Scotland. I would have. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I'm sure that you would feel exactly the same. Like I see the guys now and it's amazing. They win a lot more often than they lose. Yeah, we, we put the foundation to Which in. I yeah. know we did. So we instilled that. Of course we did. And it's <laughs> uh, and it's great to see them. And also, also, I always say, you know, for the Scottish fans, to enjoy the highs, you know, you've got to have the lows. And so we gave them a, all all of the lows. So now they're really enjoying these highs uh, as they come. But I would have liked to have won more. I would I would have loved to have been a Lion. But, I mean, ultimately, uh, I wasn't good enough, but I would have loved to have done that. That year in 2013. In 2013, so we finished, was it third, third? in the Six Nations? And we, th- and we thought we had a chance. And ultimately, it's down to one person. It's one person's opinion. And it doesn't mean you're any less of a player. It's just something uh, I would have loved to have done. I wish as well... Uh, I never played for the Baba's. I would have loved to have played for the Baba's. I never got that, that. Yeah, I don't know whether your character... Opportunity. I don't...
0: You need to be a big drinker. You need to be able to chop two or three pints yeah,
2: quickly. Yeah, I can... Yeah. No? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Be honest. I can do that. Come on. I'd have been a great tourist. i have been be great tourist. Nah, but I would love to have done that. So there are things, but but I also think it's by having that mindset and by wanting more and by being driven, I think it it's probably a lot of the reason why I and we achieved what we did because you've got to be driven mm. and you've got to really want to go for it but yeah there's things uh I look back and I think yeah I would uh I wish I'd I'd done a bit more in terms of that in saying that I loved all the time I did get um I love playing for Scotland I would uh, I would definitely have enjoyed it more if we'd won more I love playing for Saris that was a big it was it was a turning point for me it changed a lot of things for me in my life and and it was 2010 it was this it was the same year that I went on the speech program so it was a massive year that for me it changed everything I loved all my time at the club and now obviously I'm back at the club and and you speak about the transition and sort of and transitioning out of the game I probably didn't really go through that until the last year really because I was always there always at the club so it didn't really change that much and then I left I uh, went up to Scotland and it was a change and, and Glasgow's a great club I loved the people there as well I had a, I had a good time there but my family found it hard so off the pitch you know moving during the pandemic I lived around the corner from you f- for a short period and then we went to Glasgow ended up in a in an absolute shithole in Glasgow unfortunately and um it was tough on the family, but I feel, in a sense, it was good because I actually dealt with with the transition and actually and actually sort of moving on from my playing days, transitioning from sport to
0: civilian. Yeah, you know, superhero to civilian. However you want to look at it, and that's the analogy that I use. Right. Yeah. As a sports star, man or woman, yeah, athlete, it feels like you are superhuman, and you you probably are to a degree in yeah. terms of like the general public and the experiences that we have and had. And then it's gone yeah so it's like you've lost your superpowers and that's how i felt a little bit yeah obviously doing the podcast and doing the media the outside perspective is is fucking hell jim smashing it well i don't know whether that is (laughs) you know that that's just what i'm thinking from the guy who said to me down the tube station you're smashing it love the podcast it was weird for me right so my last game ironically was edinburgh the european cup final 20 seconds which has turned out to be 20 minutes as the years have gone by and so you won the game, didn't you? Basically, came on That's a turnover. Yeah. I didn't. I got blitzed out the back of them all, and I was on my back, and I was like, oh, my God. The previous
2: year that you got turned, it was a turnover against Exeter, was it? Well, there was
0: three in the lead-up. Oh, yeah, I think there sorry. was two okay. or three. But for you, you stayed
2: in the game. So you stayed
0: around yeah. like-minded yeah. men, yeah. testosterone-fueled yeah. Yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, I was gone. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. As in from carnage yeah. to nothing. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't think it was hard at the time, but when I look back, I'm like, that for me was the single most hardest thing because they talk about what are the kind of key things when you retire that you struggle with, right? Yeah. And this is me speaking from my perspective, but also learning from other lads that have retired. So purpose is a big one. Yeah. Maybe not number one. Finance is probably number one. Yeah. So how do you sustain a six-figure lifestyle? Yeah. Right? Ain't easy. Yeah. Especially now with the way that the world is, you know, you're not coming out of rugby and people are giving you a job. So we're number one finance. Yeah. And when you come to retirement at 32, 34, 35, a bit older if you're lucky, you've probably got kids as well. Yeah. So you've got more outgoings, you've got a house, you've got kids, and you've lost the bulk of your income. You're getting paid less, yeah. We lost all your income, yeah. effectively, unless you've got a job. And then purpose is the other one. So who am I? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. go to training, what's your dad do? he's a rugby player yeah. he's a legend he's an athlete do you know what I mean so you have that as well your kids don't describe you as a legend JJ they? thinks I am JJ thinks I am he doesn't know he's, he's 10 now so he's so starting done a to good the, job he, with him he's he's sta- actually I know. Started <laughs> I've manipulated him he's gone on YouTube and the only thing you know because he's playing rugby now he's like dad dad like any YouTube place yeah, you your play fights, rugby? Is it? that's uh, it <laughs> it's embarrassing it's embarrassing yeah but I was hard he's yeah like, like, I was hard my dad was hard okay. I won't want to mess with him you know so you got you got the purpose thing which a lot of people struggle with, yeah. like, you know, like, what are you now? And then the other one is being in the team. So you become so institutionalized and sometimes that used to annoy me. Like Ashy, Wiggy, at Sari's, love them, like salt of the earth, but fuck, they used to grate on me sometimes, but I miss them. Yeah. But I, I, I miss the banter. Yeah. That was the number one thing because I'm at home with the kids. I love my kids. Yeah, like yeah, my wife. Yeah. But you're there every day. And you actually mentioned it during COVID where you're at home all the time. We've been doing rugby since we were yeah. 16, 17, out in the cold, in the pish, wet dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're at home, sat on the sofa
2: with the kids, trying to read books and
0: watch cartoons. So
2: different. So, yeah. And just argue. Oh, God, I used to argue with, with Lena all the time when you're doing this homeschooling. Oh, my God. We that stopped. Brutal. Brutal. Honestly. I'd literally end up having, like, so bickering with a 10 year old. But, but you know, the thing I probably struggle with most, and it's, and it is, it almost feels pathetic to say it, but planning and making a decision. I'm 39 and a decision about anything really, because your whole life, like, so I went to school, I was told what to do, what to wear, when. After that, I went to uni and I was playing rugby alongside it. Again, I'm told what to do, when to do it. After that, I went into professional rugby. I was a player for 13 years and now a coach for four years. So my whole life I've always been given a schedule and given a structure and, okay, do this, even as far as wear this, eat this. And so you don't need to think about anything. And then over this past year, I've had to make make choices and decisions and all this sort of stuff. And I drive my missus insane because she's like, just make a decision. What's easy for you is you've done it your whole life. I've never, I honestly, have never really had to had to plan anything or make any decisions. And that's the thing that I've found the hardest. It's just planning ahead. It's trying to, even stupid things like a holiday. Okay, where are we going on holiday? I don't know. I don't know. Could someone not, <laughs> could someone not tell me what to do or where to go? But it's it sounds unbelievably stupid and so basic. And it really, it's just being a grown-up. Because as a rugby player, you're essentially, you're playing a game. And so it almost is like it's extending, you know, your childhood. As you're playing a game and a game you love, which is amazing to get to do that as a career. But you're essentially playing. And then when you stop, so even going into coaching, it is different. And you've got to be a grown-up and got to build build up these skills, which most people have probably got at 24 or 25 And you get to 36, 37, 38, and you're learning these things. I struggle booking flights and travel.
0: Admin is, as you know, is shocking. I turned up before COVID. I was that busy traveling. I went from Edinburgh to London to the airport. And when I was trying to board the plane in Edinburgh, I'd bought the flight the wrong way around. So I had the, the flight from London to Edinburgh and that was the moment where I was like, I, I need help. I need help to get things in order. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Like then Monday and things and food as well. I mean, I look like a, I look like a, a shell compared to what I was before. I'd, I'd probably eat 5,000 calories. Now I'm like scraping around, like porridge is as nutritious as it gets. I do eat well, like yeah, I do, yeah, but yeah. I, I find it hard like trying to eat well. Anyway, four years on, yeah, I'm through. It's what I'm trying to say. It's through, you're a good place. I am. I'm in a good place.
1: Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea.
0: Headline stuff, yeah. right? Something that we have touched on. Yeah. Concussion. Yeah. So there's a few instances in games that stick out for me. Mm-hmm. A couple of mine, but I don't yeah. really remember them being concussed. Yeah. A couple of them are Alistair Hargreaves, obviously a good mate of mine, ours. Yeah. yeah. And one that sticks out for me, do you remember the World Cup in 2011? Yeah. I don't know if you remember it. We are playing Argentina. We yeah, lost yeah. the line out. Well, I yeah. lost the line out. Albacete
2: steals it. Yeah. And did they kick the ball up and you just got absolutely minced? And so they put up um it was either a box kick or it was an exit kick and I went charging forward. I was in the backfield, you know, as the ball carrier. <laughs> so I went charging forward and sort of jumped for it. It was in, it was pissing it down, wind howling around the cake tin in uh, Wellington. And as I went through it, I don't know what happened, but essentially got a whack on either the jaw or the temple. And I wasn't knocked out but I was definitely oh, I thought you were I thought you were out I wasn't out I had a I had a couple when I was out for a little bit so Scotland England 2010 yeah, and 2011 Ugo. so it was Ugo on yeah. it in 2010 both of us were gone like so basically head on head and then he got stretched off so they put him not on the golf cart I remember watching it back I've got no memory of the actual thing I got up and walked off somewhere, I have no idea how, I have no memory of it. I remember the doctor came on, so James came on, James uh, Robson, who's a brilliant guy. And and he came on and I started calling him uh, Lisa, which was the Glasgow physio. At the time I was like, I'm fine Lisa, I'm fine Lisa. And he was like, okay, we've got an issue here. And so off I went. Um, And then the following year at Twickenham, it was Banahan, so Matt Banahan, I was coming across in defense, he changed his angle. I went to tackle him and he caught me on the temple again and again I was down and and that was an interesting one because at that point so my wife was at home pretty much due Lena and it had the spider cam on the pitch and it was over the top of me and the spider cam was there and then it like it panned up it zoomed up and she was obviously you know very very close to giving birth you know pretty uh, emotional at that point, and she's like, it was like you died, and that was your soul oh, going, going, my going, words. <laughs> going up to heaven. And no! that's a, and, yeah, yeah, and that's what's up. That. So, those are, the, those are the ones that stick out on the rugby pod. Yeah,
0: during COVID, yeah, when more stuff's come out around Steve Thompson, Alex yeah. Popper, more yeah. recently, Carl Heyman, yeah, and a, a number of others around their suffering now with mm-hmm. onset yeah. dementia. Yeah which is harrowing, I put a tweet out saying we signed up, which was a bit insensitive, really, in hindsight. But I did it before I'd heard or seen their stories. It was when the narrative was building around concussion in rugby and there's a few issues. And then I did a big piece on the podcast, talking about it and talking about my experiences. You know, the headline one being when I was a young lad at Leicester and we played against Munster and I've gone to dive on a board and someone volleyed me in the head and I'm snoring on the floor, yeah. and then there's a count up to 20 seconds. One, yeah. two, and I get up on about 20 yeah. seconds, and there's a big yeah. cheer. So my point being, we didn't know yeah. what we now know yeah. back then. We've both played in games where we've been concussed, and you wobble back into the line, and there's almost like a bit of a guy, you're showing a bit of grunt, you're showing a bit of heart, and stupidity in hindsight. My point being is no one's really talking about it now from what I'm hearing Lads that have played the game, and it does feel split. I've got mates, and you all know them. You've got mates that are probably involved in this situation with lawyers, and they've got this worry. I imagine they've got a resentment to the game, and they're going to go down the route. Which there's two parts to it. One bit I don't like is the fact that I got got approached. I'm not going to say by who to testify against rugby and bring a lawyer, and then there'll be a pyramid kind of retainer model. So, yeah. for example, I testify, right, Jim Hamilton, yeah, I'm struggling yeah. now with concussion, you know, dementia yeah. Yeah. issues. And then I go and speak to you and be like, Kel, actually, there's a bit of money to be had here. Yeah. Speak to my guy and then you go speak to him. And then if you get any money off the back of it, I get a bit of it. And then if you All right, okay. pass on anyone yeah, yeah, else, yeah, yeah, like yeah. John Barkley, then you'll get a bit of John Barkley's and I'll get a bit of yours. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? So there's an opportunist play, I feel, on some part of it. But then there is the authentic fucking worrying part to all this, which is what I want to talk about. Because I feel now, with the platform that we've got, a responsibility to bring this to light, try and unravel how it looks. And again, I'm emotionally driven, right? I'm not an academic I ain't the smartest cookie. Do you know what I mean? I'm happy to learn and have these discussions. And I don't know if you saw on social media that Alex Popham, a year after I put a tweet out discussing the concussion elements to my tweet and the podcast, yeah, he like put like I don't, it was like a an aubergine or something like that, or but basically okay. sort of something derogatory. Okay. And I messaged him and said that like, I'm happy to chat yeah. either personally, yeah. or on a podcast and go through your experiences. And when people Listen to me talk about it, and this is what drives me mad, and this is why I want to talk about the podcast. Yeah. So if I put a tweet out about it, right, the message is coming back. Oh, the game's gone soft. That's what you're trying to say. What about these people's families? What about this? I'm one of them.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Like, this is the, this yeah. is the mental thing. Like, and I've got dementia in my family. Like, my nan, yeah. who died of COVID, but yeah. she had dementia. My granddad died of dementia. I played concussed for six months and I got knocked out a number of times. Like, who are these people to be calling me out, saying that, saying, like, you're not well-placed to talk about it. What are you on about the game's going soft? They're calling me out. I think we have a responsibility, you as a coach, now bringing these young lads through and how we manage that. So my question is, are you worried? Um. You don't need to be worried. Like, no, as in, it's not no, a thing where, as in, I'm trying to open you up. No, like, you'll have your journey,
2: I'll have mine. No, I don't think I am. And it's, yeah, I think each person's got their own journey and and their own experiences. And I will say, if anyone has has been forced to play with concussion, then that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing, and there is an issue there. In terms of the head knocks, I got. I think back to it was my second last game for Scotland, and we're playing against Wales in Cardiff. And I got my bell rung. I got a whack. It was just a little bit fuzzy and then it cleared. And Dr. Robson came on, he checked, he said, are you all right, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he made the call, Now he's not good. He said, a head knock here, he's got to come off. And I remember being on the pitch and actually arguing with him, saying, listen, I'm, I'm completely fine. And James was like, no, no, you're coming off. And he was right to do that. I would still, I spoke to him about this, about, about six months ago, and I would still say, now I'd say, listen, uh, I was fine to carry on, but James, uh, all he cared about was me uh, and my health, and so it's entirely, uh, it's the right decision for him. And I think if medics now, which uh, I believe they are, they are being unbelievably strict on it. If there's any any suspicion that someone's got a head knock, they've got to come off, uh, is they've got to come off uh, because as players, you're just kind of programmed. Well, either you're programmed just to carry on or you want to carry on. But I think it's absolutely right now that medics have got a zero-tolerance approach. I think it's right that now to come back from concussions, there's sort of various stages that you've got to pass to get back. Do you think it's long enough? Here's one for you. So it's changed this season, actually. Oh, has it? Go on then, just talk us through it's that. It's changed this season. I'm not exactly sure how but i think it takes a little bit longer now certainly for younger players and certainly for players in the community game it takes a lot longer and you've got to see a specialist which i think is a good thing because ultimately we don't know like so we don't know the long-term consequences yet we're effectively waiting now that's what it feels like a little bit then that's maybe the scary thing i said i don't know any of these guys stories so i can't comment and if they have been badly treated or whatever, then that isn't right. But um, everyone's got a different story, don't they? And I just think looking now with the evidence that is has been made, is the game has been made as safe as it possibly can be. And that's how it should be. You know, you've know, you got to look after the players and look after the players' health, not just whilst they're playing, but also in the long term. And I think the game absolutely is doing that. How hard
0: do you think it is for the players now I try and think back on my career and if I would have tried to hide things in order to get a contract. So an example being right, you've got a young lad coming through 19 years old. He's on the pathway to greatness. Marcus Smith, gets a concussion and gets stood down through no desire or want of himself but because that is the necessary steps to take to look after him. But how difficult is it to manage these young lads coming through? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Or on the flip side of that, yeah. I'm not fine, I'm not fine. Yeah. And then a year down the line, he's out of contract. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, well, you've not given me the chance to play as a medical team. Or he says, I, I, I'm I'm, not right to play. Like, How hard is it migrating through this now with the young lads coming through? I think
2: all you can do is follow the guidelines. And that's what the medics do is they follow the guidelines and that's all you can do. Yeah, but and with contracts
0: and stuff like that. I In, get that. When someone's injury prone, yeah, you wouldn't get signed. So if I kept wrecking money... I ain't getting signed by a club, am I? If you've got a number of concussions,
2: surely that has to be taken into account, does it not? Well, it's probably a factor, yes. Yes, it probably is a factor, and I get that, but we've got to, as clubs, we've got to follow what the experts are saying. And if the experts are saying this person's fine to play, then they play. If the experts are saying that this person isn't fine to play, then that person shouldn't play, no matter how much the club or the person themselves... Want to play because we're, because the clubs and the game has got a duty of care to its players, and it's absolutely right. It's like that, and it's and as I said, so a lot of these guys, I don't know, I've not spoken to any of them or anyone that's involved in any Have of these. Have you things. been approached? No, you haven't. And no, 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 I've never been approached, and so I don't know what their story is, you know, what their experiences are, and if their experiences are are bad, if they've been forced to play, you know, whatever, then that's not right. But it's very difficult to comment on each individual player if I don't know their full story and their experiences. I don't think I'm in a place to comment.
0: Yeah, because I battle with being a dad yeah. with two boys, having played a game that has given me everything. Yeah, Not from a financial standpoint, which yeah. it has, but from a lifestyle, a grounding, yeah. a foundation, everything yeah. who i am i wouldn't be the person yeah. i am if it wasn't for rugby yeah i find myself second guessing how much i push the boys into rugby knowing how good the game is and the values of the game yeah but i
2: think you weigh up weigh up you know the benefits and the risks and for me i mean even 3 days ago some my, so my daughter was playing netball at school fell over broke her arm i cannot believe that picture like yeah it's it's pretty messy her arm was bent and it was yeah it was horrible but it was an accident like it was no one's fault it was an accident and she picked up an injury when she's back fit will I be encouraging her to play netball again absolutely because team sport and I think the benefits of team sport far outweigh any negative any risk because in life there's risk like in life in anything it carries risk but if the benefits outweigh it then i think you go with that and that's the same in rugby rugby as any sport does it's got risk yes it does but i firmly believe the benefit and the values and the lessons and the and everything around the game is so much more than any perceived risk in the game because one thing that i want to delve deeper into
0: I've, had, I've got a couple of mates who played in the championship and I look at the journey that I had in the career and the World Cup and the experiences and winning European Cups and Premierships and travelling the world and making a bloody decent living. And then I look at my mates who played in the championship, same age as me, yeah. I'm going to get him on, and his body is absolutely fucked. As in, it's ridiculous to... To, to look at the body and see what he's done, detach yeah. both his biceps. I think one of his pecs is detached as well. His knee's erect. there Who's was that? Ben Gulliver. All right, okay. We yeah, got yeah. together playing. So I'm going to get him on and chat about it because… He's at Bedford, is he not? No. He was at Bedford, Amtel, Plymouth, okay. Yeah, Cove. Yeah. Okay. And I wonder whether he feels the same. Now he's retired. Yeah. And I know he did it, or yeah, because, yeah. but what I'm trying to say is that is the masses of people that play yeah. rugby yeah. in terms of they don't get the experiences that we had. And we sat here on the platform yeah. talking about the risks yeah. and whether or not we encourage our kids to play, whether or not I'm going to push my boys or girls in the yeah. direction of playing rugby yeah. because the likelihood is they're not going to have the career that I've had because very few do Yeah, through – chance, luck, yeah. whatever, timing. And whether or not being in a team sport like rugby, maybe making 35 grand a year yeah. and having to play 40 games in the champ with one physio and one doctor, is worth it. But Kelly, look, could have gone all day. Yeah, could have just chatted it's all day. It's an hour odd. Uh, Kelly nice. Brown, uh, friend of the show, but also one of my good friends. Thanks, Inspiration man. to many. And we're watching the coaching career grow pitch side
2: for Saracens BT Sport you're doing a bit of everything bit of singing still yeah dabbling there yeah, dabbling but yeah thank you very much for having me on I'm sure it's going to be a big success and you found your thing unsure we'll see oh, well you stick out a few episodes see yeah we'll
0: try a few put a few we'll probably change <laughs> our mind see what happens
2: and you move again you know you do something else of course you know? yeah
0: there it is